I found it interesting. I saw that and I thought, well, that's kind of odd. That's kind of curious, you know. And then a couple of days later, it was a similar headline, but it was, it was not the exact same. It was a different article, but it was about the same thing, I think. And it, it's essentially, it's, it's kind of, I'm, by, by the way, we're not going to spend much time talking about this at all. I, I don't, I'm not troubled by this. I'm not troubled by this headline. I'm troubled by other things, but not this particular one. But this article was, um, it was about, it is kind of interesting. It's, curiously enough, it was about this article that uh, was published in 1972 by MIT. And it was about, it was looking ahead, it ran these models, these computer models, and was looking ahead, a number of different factors, I think, were, were considered. And it, it said that, here's, here's, it predicted, that the thirst of economic growth coupled with humanity's utter disregard for the environment and society would cause a massive societal collapse by the mid-21st century. That's hopeful, isn't it? It's a good way to start a sermon. Um, the, the article that was commenting on that was, it said, this, this particular re researcher, she said, so she's, she's uh, going back and looking at the 1972 article and looking at it from the 2021 perspective and saying, is what they said coming true? And she concluded, as you saw from the headline, that it, that it is coming true. She looked at 10 key variables to study the MIT society collapse prediction. She looked at population, fertility rates, mortality rates, industrial output, food production, services, non-renewable resources, persistent pollution, human welfare, and ecological footprint, and came to the conclusion that, yeah, we're on pace. So that's good news for this morning as we start. Now, seriously, though, you see stuff like that that's published, you know, periodically about the trajectory of, of food production, of population growth, of, of, of the way that we're taking care of or not taking care of the environment, the ecological footprint, all this, all this stuff. And there are these, there are these uh, various predictions about how long this is sustainable, you know. That's not what Peter's talking about here. It's not what he's talking about at all. I think I ought to offer this caveat. I think Christians ought to be concerned about the environment. I think we ought to recognize God put us here to be stewards, and we ought to take care of this, this planet, this, this environment that God has given us. Now, having said that, the future of the planet, the future of society, doesn't depend on us. We somehow join hands with God in doing His will and doing good, but God controls the world, and He controls the future, and He controls when this is going to come to an end. This, this text starts out with a pretty in-your-face kind of statement, you know. And when Stephen read it a minute ago, you've heard this before, the beginning of this paragraph, Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. I mean, that's, pretty, that's a pretty serious statement. The end of all things is at hand. What in the world is Peter talking about? And he goes on and he says, in view of that fact, we, we need to do some different things. As I mentioned to you at the beginning of our worship service today, I believe what Peter is doing here is he's not talking about the environment necessarily. He's not talking about, you know, ecological footprints. He's not talking about population growth, food production, all of that. That's not what he's talking about. He is saying that we live in a time, we live in a time that is characterized by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we live in the last epoch, the last era, the, last, the end days. Now, I'm not, ta I'm, not, I don't, I'm not saying what you might hear from some guy with long hair and sandals standing on a street corner holding up the sign says, you know, saying the end is at hand. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not predicting it's going to happen the next year, the next five years or whatever. I don't think that's what Peter's saying. 
But he is saying that we live in a time that is the last time. It is the last days. It is, it is characterized by the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. We live in a time when God is bringing, ultimately bringing about an end to death and into decay, and into pain, and into this world as we know it, and we are going to stand before God in judgment sometime soon. That's what Peter's saying. In view of that, live like this. That's what Peter is saying here at the beginning of this. So I mentioned to you a couple, you know, at the beginning of worship, this determines so much, and we talked about this a little bit last Sunday, but this determines so much about how you live life. I mean, it really does. Like your choices this week, you may not even be conscious of it, all of our choices this week, what matters to us, what decisions we make, how we, how we decide this is better than that, and this is wrong and this is right, and this is good and this is bad, all of that stuff comes from this foundational worldview. Like, how do, you, how do you view this world? Peter says the end of all things is at hand. There was this, um, some years ago, Woody Hayes movie, Crimes and Misdemeanors, and at the end of the, um, at the, end of the movie, there's um, on, on the screen, there's this guy dancing with his daughter at her wedding. And you hear Woody Allen's voice. And, and this is basically what Woody Allen says at the end of this. He says, he says, we don't really know answers to the big questions. We don't know if there's a God. We don't know what the meaning in life is. We don't know about moral absolutes. We don't know about the meaning of the big questions. We don't have the answers. Therefore, all you can do is love your family and just try to do good to others. That's the end of it. Man, wow. Seriously? Like, we don't know anything. We, we, don't, we, don't know, we don't know anything. Therefore, love your family and do good to others. Do you, do you see a disconnect between those two things? We don't know about the nature of reality. We don't know about the nature of good and evil. We don't know about the nature of God, if there is one. We don't know answers to any of the big questions in life. Therefore, love your family and do good to others. Now, I agree with this conclusion I just don't think it follows from the premise, you know? I think when we read what Peter says here, it does follow. The end of all things is at hand. This world as we know it is passing away. We live in a temporal world that has been created by God that is going somewhere, and we live under the loving and watchful eyes of a God who cares about us but is taking us somewhere and has expectations for the way we live. Therefore, love your family and do good to others. That's kind of like what Peter says here. But it's a completely different premise. You see that? Everything in their text this morning flows from that initial statement because it has to do with how you view the reality of life. So I don't know where you are on the, uh, on the big questions of life. I suspect most of us are on somewhat the same page on this, but maybe you're not. Maybe you're listening online and you got some questions about this. Or you got a different worldview. And that's fine. That's fine. But all I'm asking you, especially you, if you have some sort of different different foundation on which you try to stand and come to some of the same conclusions, love your family and do good, you know, love people, be good to people, avoid bad stuff and all that. If those are the conclusions you arrive at, I'd like to, I'd like to ask you to question how you get there from your worldview, because there is a connection between what Peter says and what he's telling us to do, you know? Our world is just say one more word about this, and then we're going to look at what Peter actually says after the therefore. But our world is just, it seems so messed up and so confused. And I, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but there's just so much. There's, there's chaos in many ways. There's moral kind of anarchy. There's, uh, 
You know, there's violence, there's confusion about so many different things. And it's an interesting thing. It's, a, it's an encouraging thing, I think, to me, to you, I hope, as well, that God gives us something more substantive than that foundation on which the world is trying to stand. There was an episode of The Simpsons some years ago. I don't. It was a while back, I think, but it was about a, a town that decided they were going to have a new basis for the way they ran the town. And um, the, the basis was going to be you just do whatever you feel like doing. That was going to be the basis of it. <clears throat> and they had decided to have this annual festival, and they were going to call it the Do What You Feel Festival. They said, we're going to replace the old festival, that annual festival we used to have in the town square, which was the Do Whatever I Tell You Festival, and we're going to change it to the Do What You Feel Festival. It's going along pretty well until the stands at the festival collapsed and a whole bunch of people got injured. Somebody said to the guy who had set up the stands, you didn't fasten the bolt, you didn't fasten the thing right. He said, it would have taken me two hours to fasten all the boats. I didn't feel like it. And somebody said, that's irresponsible. And somebody ran up and said, oh, no, wait a minute. Don't forget the rules. We mustn't should one another. We mustn't throw shoulds at each other. We have to do what we feel. And the guy turned around and he said, wait a minute. If that's so, how can you should me about using shoulds? Isn't that a should? Then somebody said, I feel like choking you. Another guy came up and said, uh-uh, we mustn't have violence. There's a should Next thing you know, the whole town descends into, of course, a frenzy of hitting one another and hurting each other and choking each other. They're doing what they feel. Some pretty bright writer, I think, behind that understands that if you think very long about the modern basis of morality, it, 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 it degenerates into a vapor. You see that? Where are the shoulds? Where do the shoulds come from? Well, the shoulds come from your view of what is, of what is the absolute nature of reality, you know. That's what Peter does at the beginning of this in verse 7. He says, he says, the end of all things is at hand. There's a lot embedded in that. Peter wasn't confused about when the end was. He wasn't saying it's going to be immediately. He is simply saying the end, regardless of how we view temporal things, the end is close by. It could be at any moment. And that echoes what Jesus had said uh, many times in this ministry. It echoes what, P what Paul would say as well about the nature of time and things. The judgment is close by. Now look at the text. I hope you're there in 1 Peter 4 because I want you to see this connection. If you were here last Sunday, we studied the, last, the first six verses of the chapter. And, and at the end of it, you may, may remember this, at the end of it, verse 5, he says, they're going to give an account. People who live according to this worldly perspective, this anti-God perspective, there is no God, do whatever you feel kind of life. Pursue, verse, um, what was it, verse, verse 3, sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry, chase after all, do what you feel like, man, it doesn't matter. Reality is, hey, do whatever you want to do because it doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. Just live your life. Do what you feel. Peter says, well, what those people don't understand is the nature of reality is that this world as we know it is going somewhere and there's coming a day when God's going to judge us. And so we don't live like that. Christians don't live like that. They give an account, verse 5. 
They give an account to those, to the one who's ready to judge the living and the dead. This is why the gospel was preached, uh, judged in the flesh the way people are and so on. They might live in the spirit the way God does. And then he, then he comes back to that again in verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand. So this world's coming to an end. History's going somewhere. History's going somewhere. It's going to the throne room of God. It's going to that place, to that judgment room, that judgment throne of God. We're going to stand there in the presence of God one of these days and give an account for how we've lived. The end of all things is at hand. That's his conclusion to this. And then he puts this very important word there. And he says, therefore. Therefore. There are four things here. And then I want to sum it up with the last thing that that Peter says. But I think there are four basic things that he says. And the first one is in verse 7, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, you see, see what he's saying here. This, is, this, this word here, these words, mean basically to think sanely. Be sane. Look at things as they are. Don't be insane. Don't view things inappropriately or inconsistently. He's saying that the way the world views things, this pursuing your feels, you know, feelings and all that, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. People, people, if they're thinking clearly, they ought to be able to see that. And sometimes people in the world do come to that conclusion. It's like they pursue the sensuality and the passions and the drunkenness and the parties and the, and the you know, do what I want to do sort of thing. And sometimes they do get to that point where they realize, man, this isn't working for me. I mean, it was, you know, it was fun, and, and occasionally it's still fun, but it doesn't last. I always wake up on Saturday morning, or I wake up on Monday morning, or I have these, these, these epiphanies, you know, these moments where I realize, man, this is messed up, and this is, something's missing from my life. This isn't working for me. That's what Peter's saying here. The end of all things is at hand. Be, be, self-controlled and sober-minded. Think clearly and soberly so that you can pray right. You see, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, get your thoughts right and live a self-controlled life because that life out there doesn't work. I don't know where you are, you know, folks listening in. Maybe sometimes, maybe somebody will listen to this later and it'll come at a good time in your life where you need to hear what, what Peter's saying, but maybe you're to a point where you're starting to think, man, this isn't working for me. That's what God is doing in your life. He's trying to help you to be sober-minded, to think clearly that the world's way of doing stuff doesn't work and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't bring you contentment. It doesn't bring you happiness. It brings you fleeting moments of joy, of pleasure, which quickly pass because it's built on a, on a fleeting and um, a foundation that is not substantive. It's not consistent with the nature of reality. And therefore, it's not going to work. And that's what Peter's saying here. Be self-controlled, be sober-minded, and then you can pray right. You can pray right when you view reality in the, in the right way. Here's the second thing that he says. Therefore, love one another. Verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You see, when we view reality correctly. <clears throat> when we're not confused about where we came from, where we're going, we're not confused about how the world got here, we're not confused about where the world is heading. When, when we've got our minds thinking clearly about that, it helps us to understand the importance of love. You see, that's where we, we would agree with Woody Allen on the love your family and do good to people. That's a great thing. Why though, Woody? Why? Why, why, why would we do that? Especially when it True love brings about sacrifice of self, right? I mean, that's what love is. 
Love, love is sacrificing yourself for the good of someone else. Why would I ever do that? Why would I act in such a selfless way if it comes from this foundation of we don't, we don't really know anything at all? We don't, we don't really have any, any, um, any strong convictions about the nature of reality. Why are we going to do that? But Peter says, when you view things as they are, you, then you can see, hey, love is founded on the real nature of things. There, God has created this world. He's created this community of faith. We in the church are, are joined together in our hearts and in our actions and thoughts and minds, and we're trying to help the world be a better place. We're trying to share the love of God, and we understand where this is going. Therefore, we love one another. It covers a multitude of sins. I think probably what Peter means by that is when we become more loving, we become less judgmental, we, we, uh, we create an environment where people feel accepted and, and loved and, and, and an environment in which people sin less, that there's less sin. When you, when you have this community of faith like the Hoover Church where we love one another and we try to overlook one another's faults. Yeah, we don't sweep stuff under the rug, but we don't, we don't act as if sin doesn't matter, but we love people. And we recognize that when people slip up and, and make mistakes and sins, what they need from us probably is not a hyper-judgmental spirit and not a kind of a, a, a critical looking down your nose at other people, how could you dare do such a thing, that kind of thing. But what they need is they need the love of Christ. You know, they need to be loved. They need to be, they need to be uh, shown a, a better way. That's what Peter is saying here. That therefore, because of the temporal nature of this world, the fact that we live in uh, the end days, end times, we love one another because we want to create a wholesome and welcoming community of faith where we can exist in a hostile world and we can share that love with a world that desperately needs to see it because it's going somewhere. It's going to that, that final day, right? See that? I think this is pretty powerful stuff what Peter's telling us here, your love is going to manifest in hospitality. That's the third one. Show hospitality. So, think clearly so you can pray right. Love one another in the church. That's what he's talking about mostly. Now, we love the world, but we have a special love, of uh, brotherly love for one another in our communities of faith and our churches. We, we love one another. We love everybody, but we've got some commonalities here that causes us to have a special kind of love within the family, you know. And therefore, he says, we show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Probably what that meant in Peter's day, especially, it had a, a special usage because, you know, they didn't have hotels. They didn't have, when, when evangelists were traveling through and sharing the gospel, they, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't stay at the, lo at the local Holiday Inn Express. They needed the hospitality of Christian friends, brothers and sisters, and so they would put them up in their homes and, and feed them and, and give them a base of operation while they're in their area. That's probably what Peter means. It means something similar to us, but it's got to be changed a little bit because of the way the world has changed. But I think we get what it means. It can mean opening up your home, as so many of you are willing to do, have done, are doing, like last Sunday, for example. It can, be, it can be taking people out to dinner. Um, it, it can be meeting the needs that people have, the physical needs, providing for the physical needs of others. It can, be, it can have a lot of different expressions, but it, it is centered in many ways around home, around your being willing to sacrifice your comfort for the good of other people. That's what love does. 
Show hospitality. Isn't it interesting that he says, show it to one another without grumbling? This is probably not, I guess we got to have those folks from church over to the house. Man, I got to clean the house. I got to do the yard. Oh man, I don't, I don't want to do that. It's like Peter knows how we are. You know, he knows he knows our nature. He knows our struggles. He had probably heard it from his own people, and he says, "Show hospitality to one another without grumbling." You know, it's like being generous and without. You know, I, I mean, I think we see what he's saying. Do it without grumbling. So we see things clearly, so we can pray. We love one another, especially in the community of faith, the church. And that expresses itself in looking out for the needs of others. We open up our homes. We are hospitable, warm, welcoming to people. I hope, by the way, if you're visiting today, I hope you felt hospitality in this place. I think you did. I think you will if you'll keep coming around. Last one that he says that we're going to talk about is use your gifts. See how these kind of flow into one another? There's... Think clearly about what reality is. You love one another, which causes you to show hospitality. And then you're going to use the talents God has given you to bless other people. That's, the, that's what he says in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. All right, just a couple things here. Uh, first of all, he says in verse 10, what gifts you've been given, they're not for you, they're so that you may bless others with them. Use your gift to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. A steward is a manager, you, you know this. A steward doesn't own the things that he or she is given. A steward is put in temporary control of those things so that they might be used in the way that the owner of those things wants them used. So you can see how this applies to us. God has given you and me gifts, talents, resources, opportunities, time. Those are not ours. Your time, my time, it's not ours. Your money, our money, not ours. Our ability to serve, not ours, not our ability. Uh, Whatever, resources, time, money, gifts, talents, whatever. Not ours. We are but stewards of them. And God has given us those things so that we might use them to bless other people. See, that's what he's saying here. It's not us. It's not ours. This world is not ours, but we're stewards of it. The the 168 hours you've got this week, those aren't your hours. They're God's hours, and he's put you in control of them for a bit. You know, the, the money that you're earning is not really yours. I mean, you get the point here. But the key thing here is to recognize the stewardship aspect of this because I and you probably can get quite selfish with this. Well, I need some me time, you know, and that's money I worked hard for. And, um, and man, I'm, I, don't, I just don't have, I, this, is, this, is, this is my stuff, you know, it's my house and my money and my time and, and, and my gifts or talents or abilities, whatever they are. And I want to use them to, to kind of do what I want, right? Peter says, that's not the way it works. Not when you view all, the end of all things is at hand. You view this world as passing away. It's going somewhere. We're going to appear before God in judgment. God's watching over us. He's, he's, he's interested, particularly interested in how we use what he's loaned us for a bit. 
And so Peter says, use them to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Grace means gift. You know, God gives it to us, loans it to us. I can't help but think of the parable of the talents, you know, five talent, two talent, one talent man, men. Um, how do you use them? How do you use them? Comes the time, master comes back, says, how did you use the talents I gave you? Five talent man said, yeah, I made five others. Two talent, I made two others. One talent said, well, I was scared. I hit it in the dirt, you know. I didn't, I didn't use it. I didn't use it at all. God's watching. He's, careful. He's, he's concerned about how we use the resources he's loaned us for a bit. And then Peter goes on and he says there are two kinds of resources, two kinds of gifts here specifically. And he says you've got, um, verse 11, speak whoever speaks, whoever speaks, and whoever serves. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I think what Peter's doing here is he's saying, uh, you got two big categories here of gifts, talents God's given us. You got speaking gifts and you got serving gifts. And not a single one of you, of us, can say we don't have any of them. You might say, well, I'm not a good speaker. That's fine. Uh, you can serve, though, right? Uh, some people have good speaking gifts. Some people have serving gifts. We all have got something. Serving, the, the speaking gifts are, I, I think it would be clear that God sometimes gives us opportunities to speak, to share. That doesn't have to be what I'm doing right now. It can be speaking a word of encouragement back there in that back foyer in a few minutes. It can be the words that you put on a card that you mail tomorrow afternoon. It can be a text or a phone call or an email that you send to somebody who needs it. It might be going to a funeral home and just wrapping your arms around somebody who's hurting and saying, you know, I love you and I'm so sorry. Whoever speaks, let him or her speak as the oracles of God. Let your words reflect what Scripture teaches us, the revelation of God. And then we've got serving gifts. Serving gifts are using your time. It is hugs of encouragement. It's baking a cake. It is buying a meal. It's inviting into your home. It's loving people. It's serving. Now let me ask you to be introspective for a minute, and me too. And if you're, looking, if you're joining us online, you're part of our congregation, let me speak to us all here for a minute. The church is not here. Purpose of the church is, is, not, is not so that it meets our individual needs. The purpose of the church, one of the purposes of the church, is to give us an environment where we can say, how can I serve other people? How can I bless other people? And so there's more to it, a lot more to it than my saying, well, I need to get this out of the church, and I need the church to do this for me, and I need this and that for the church. That's kind of a self-centered kind of perspective, you know? The church gives us opportunities to go about finding other people to serve and to say, how can I bless people this week? And so the introspective questions for us to answer, I think, at least in our own hearts, are questions like these. What am I doing, what are you doing, day by day, to be a blessing to other people in the church? How are you and I using our words to encourage 
and to build up, to teach. How are we using the hours that all of us have in a week to serve other people in our church and people in the community? How are we doing that? You see, Peter is saying, in view of the, the ultimate nature of reality, this, the fact that it's going somewhere, that it's a temporary thing as we experience it now, in view of that, God has loaned you some speaking and serving gifts for a few years. He's very, very interested in how we use them. And so the introspective part of this is for us to ask, not what are people doing for me, but what are we doing to serve others? That's where Jesus calls us to be, right? The end of all things is at hand. I'm reminded, I've read this in different places over the years, but something that Martin Luther was, what he said when he was asked what he would do if the end of the world would come today. And he replied that he would plant a tree and he would pay his taxes. I think what Luther meant was that he lived every day in light of the end. And therefore he would do the appointed task of the day. And I think that's what Peter is saying here. The end of all things is at hand. We don't know when. We don't know when judgment's going to be here. Well, what Peter is saying is, today, well, we're about tomorrow yet. Don't worry about next Thursday yet. Today, we've got a little time. We've got a couple gifts. Let's use the time, some of the time. Let's use some of the gifts to bless people because the end of all things is at hand. If you're not a Christian today, uh, one of the reasons we're here is because we want to encourage you to consider who Jesus is. We want, to, you, we want you to consider what the Bible teaches about Him, that there's really good evidence that Jesus was exactly who He said He was, the Son of God. And if you believe that, to act on that faith, not just to say it, you believe it in your heart, but actually act on it because God always causes us to act on what we believe. And so you believe it in your heart. You act on it by turning your life over to Him. You demonstrate that publicly in baptism as you have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. Receive God's Holy Spirit to live within you. And you commit yourself to live in His presence and in submission to Him for the rest of your life. That's what it means to become a Christian. We invite you today, perhaps, if you're ready, to make that kind of confession. Maybe you need to ask for the prayers of the church here. We want to pray for you if you need those prayers. Let's stand and sing. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come. Oh, heart bowed down with sorrow.